Another week, another game, and joining me, as you might expect, is Sheridan to discuss Mainz's loss away to Leverkusen on Friday night. Sheridan, how's it going? Not bad, mate. Not bad. How are you doing? Uh, I'm not too bad, uh, and very happy to be on another episode of the Unnamed English Minds. But I think it's unnamed, isn't it? You've got it right for once. I think we're going to have to put this down in history. You have nailed it there. (laughs) There we go. I mean, I I, I nailed it, but also stopped saying the name of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, neither of us were there on Friday night. So the game was out of the way for the weekend quite early. There's a full 40 hours of days off from work to fill without Minds playing. So what did you get up to over the weekend before we go into the game itself? I watched more football, went to a concert, and then watched some more football, as you might expect from me. Yes, I do expect. I have come to expect that from you, and it looked like a looked like a fun weekend. And I, for my part, we were just talking off mic. Did absolutely nothing. I just watched football <laughs> on TV, and it's one of those things of you know the old cliche like a watch pot never boils. I was sat there all weekend waiting for teams that were ahead of us to slip up and it just didn't happen. <laughs> it was one of those things where you kind of go into the weekend thinking, like, oh, well, we'll probably lose to Leverkusen, who are great uh, as a football team. But you know what? It's fine because we're not going to lose that much ground. And then the weekend happens and it, what, what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was sat in a car traveling between Aachen and Cologne uh, with the live games on Saturday coming up as notifications. And and you'd, I'd, I'd, before I'd even get the notification, I'd have the the guys in the car groaning that that one of the teams around us had either scored or or, or whatever had happened in the game that just wasn't in our favour. So I might have had a fun, busy weekend, but as always, dedication to the podcast. I was always on the ball for Mainz Northern. Well, there we go. Uh, onto the game on Friday night. I think it was <laughs> it was one of the. Uh... Uh, one of the rare occasions this season that neither of us were there. Um, mm. Yeah, usually you're there and I'm not. But um, yeah, we we were both watching from afar, um, and I think it was one of those ones that we were starting to really look forward to this sort of quite early in the week. I think my, my whole my whole week was built up to oh, big game, big game, big game um, against a good team. Um, obviously, going in with the the positive vibes from the Augsburg game as well the week before, where we'd finally won for the first time in three and a bit months, uh, and. There was a lot of continuity from that game in terms of the selections. and There, there was a lot of discussion, I think, about illness during the week with the squad uh, and uh, obviously potential injuries. We saw Hansja Olsen obviously wasn't going to be able to play um, after going off injured against Augsburg. But largely, the selection, at least in the first team, was as you were. It was only in terms of like depth on the bench that we really sort of looked a little bit sort of thin on the ground. Yeah, um, I, I think we went in with the team as we expected it to be. Um, there was there was a lot of worry, particularly sort of in the middle of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, when the first kind of press conferences specifically about the game started to come out and people were starting to talk about the squad. And we go, oh, geez, here we go again. He's injured, he's suspended, he's ill, whatever's going on. We knew that Johnny Burkhart, who's got another mystery injury, we haven't seen him for two or three weeks uh, since Stuttgart away. Um, a Jork had has some kind of virus. I think Danny DaCosta is suffering from the same thing. Um, so there was there was players we knew were going to be out. Hanger Olsen, obviously Viper, another one of them. Um, so we we knew that we were going to be kind of thin on the ground going into it. Um, but and then when the team was released, there was um, a couple of, of of kids in the team um, in in Maxime Dahl and and, and Tim Miller. 
um, that, that I did not expect at all. So I'm, I'm glad to see that um, Bo Henriksen immediately put some trust in younger players, um, more so than if we think back to Frankfurt away than Zivert for potentially did. Yeah, which is odd considering that one of the things that like Zurich fans would have said to you if you were like reading their comments when he came in is that he doesn't really play young players, he doesn't trust them too much. Two of the things that we've seen so far from him is like absolutely praising Brian Gruner for playing through, uh, like having half his face torn off, and uh, <laughs> and obviously sort of bringing these sort of younger guys up compared to a youth coach that decided not to do it. So especially in the case of like Maxim Dahl, I don't know too much about Tim Muller, but Maxim Dahl we've seen play for the under 19s a few times this season. I obviously saw him play for them last season as well, and he was also one of the under 17 world champions for the German national team. Um, so like. Definitely a really exciting talent to sort of keep tabs on. We'll probably talk about more of him. Hopefully, he'll play um, next week um, in the when we talk about the Manchester City under 19s game, which, as we record this, is, uh, is tomorrow. As you listen to this, it's probably today. Um, so, definitely one to keep an eye out for. And, like you say, is after that meltdown that we had. Well, not meltdown, but after the negativity that we had when we didn't fill the bench against Frankfurt, obviously we, we didn't fill the bench against Leverkusen either. Um, but at least we sort of made an effort to sort of, yeah, bring in different parts of the club and, um, yeah, give those those guys a bit of a, a match day experience um, with an away, game, uh, an away day that, you know, is not too far away, I guess. I was so excited by the fact that we'd called up Dahl and Miller that I didn't even realise we hadn't filled the bench. I thought it was. Was it? Were there not nine players on the bench? I thought there was. I think there was eight. So I may. Okay. Well, Henriksen's got. He's got the wool over my eyes, and fair play to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have to. I, I, I'm trying to talk myself out of like going in and checking out, but that would be bad podcasting, as so much of what we do is. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> speak for yourself, mate. That's <laughs> okay. So much of what I do is fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, actually, in terms of the eleven, the only change I think was Vidma coming in for Hanja Olsen, and then the the fullbacks rotating around. So you had uh, Mvena playing on the left, Vidma on the right, and Cassie then sort of going into the centres. He's done quite a lot of the season. So going into the game, what were you thinking? Were, were you optimistic? I don't know if you can be optimistic against in a position that we are again in a, a team that are top of the league, twenty two unbeaten, thirty two unbeaten across all competitions. Um, I don't know if you can be optimistic in that situation. I was going into it hoping, obviously, that we weren't going to get smacked, but had already mentally pretend, uh, mentally prepared myself that that you know is a possibility that isn't beyond the realms of um, of all doubt. Um, but it was, I, I don't know. I guess I'd, I'd, I'd taken the positivity from the the Augsburg game. I was it was the most unproductive week of work I've ever had because I was buzzing till about Thursday morning thinking about the Augsburg win. And then Thursday was just a bit of a slow day after that. And then Friday morning came around. It was like, oh, yeah, we're playing tonight. And then I spent a good amount of time trying to work out if I could spontaneously still make it to Leverkusen. So all <laughs> I was doing all week was thinking about football. Um, but the, the vibes weren't, yeah, they, I wouldn't say they were positive. I didn't think we were going to necessarily win the game. Um, but I, I don't think I was going into it as well with with all hope lost already before a ball had even been kicked. And, and that in itself is an improvement from the last weeks and months that we've experienced. Yeah, and if Sheridan's bosses are listening in, then that was him using artistic license and not an actual reflection of his performance, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure was fantastic, as usual. Uh, just thought we should cover that off just in case. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say differently here in terms of things are going so have been going so well for Leverkusen over the last few weeks I was just like they're gonna hit a snag at some point and you know I've been a football fan for however many years uh long enough uh to know that 
sometimes you come unstuck in the most unexpected of ways. So I actually, I had a very weird suspicion that we were going to give him a good game. And I think, to be honest, so it told. I mean, if you if you look at the sort of the first few minutes, you probably wouldn't have thought that in terms of I think Leverkusen started very much on the front foot and obviously go ahead after, what, three, four minutes uh, with Granit Xhaka's goal. Where to be honest, there's there's a, a lot of negative stuff that you can say, and which we'll go on to say, I think, as we go into analyze it. Um, but from there, the the performance did improve. Um, so I mean, if we look at the goal, there's a there's a couple of guys here that don't look great, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, listen, it's not a good goal to concede. Um, you will, I'll come out straight away and, and put the credit to Granite Jacker though because he definitely means it um, the, the, the corner's been taken short it's been played out to the edge of the box and he's he's come onto the ball sort of 20 yards out at the on the left hand corner of the box got his foot around got his left boot around the ball and kind of almost Ronaldinho versus Seaman lifted it over Zentner and into the top corner I don't think there's necessarily loads of blame that I can put on Zentner because there's not, there's no way he can he can interpret that that's going to happen. Like by all means, the way Shaka came onto the ball, it looked like he was going to whip his foot around it and put a teasing ball into the box. Um, as a Bundesliga goalkeeper, you have to be prepared for all eventualities, obviously. Um, and he does, he gets caught out, and that's that's all you can say about it. I think the thing for me that annoys me the most about the goal is I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure who it was, um, but there's just not enough pressure on the ball. Nobody gets out quickly enough. There's, it's not woken up yet. We haven't started in the game. Um, no, but like I say, nobody goes out to the ball. No, nobody makes a real challenge. Like nobody, you don't see if you watch the replay, you don't see any bodies flying trying to get in front of that thing. Um, and it, and it is because of that a soft goal to concede ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if you look at it. Um, I think it's Anisivo who basically is sort of stood there and has completely switched off when the ball comes out. So I think someone goes to press, not press, but someone goes out to sort of pressure um, the guy on the left with the ball. He plays it back towards Shaka on the angles of the um, of the area. He looks to, he kind of looks at his, his aspect and prob- probably like the way that he delivers the ball, it is basically a cross. Like he, he has delivered it as a shot towards goal, but the way that he's like shaped it is a cross and probably it's one of those things where if someone had come out uh, and actually like put it under a bit of pressure, he's not going to be able to shoot towards goal because he doesn't have the lane to do it. So he just then actually corrects his foot a little bit and puts it in as a, as a decent sort of whip across the face of goal. Maybe then it would have become a goal anyway, who knows? But um, you look at Karamanisivo, who literally looks like if you're playing FIFA and your control is disconnected or something, it's just not moving. Um, notice is far too late. And by fa- by that point, there's probably a five meter gap to cover up to Shaq, who's just got complete um, yeah, acres of space to shoot. And I think I would disagree that Zentner's not at fault here, because I think if, you, if we're going to compare it to that Ronaldinho uh, goal against uh, England, where David Seaman sort of got a lot of flack, then... I think by the same token, I think it's it's a similar kind of goal, goalkeeping error in terms of not judging the flight of the ball correctly. Robin Zentner is a good shot stopper. Like uh, There's a lot of things that we criticise him for as a goalkeeper in terms of sometimes the way that he plays with the ball at his feet. But what has never been uh, kind of under doubt is that he's a, he's a good shot stopper. So to kind of make that kind of error of like just completely not reading the flight of the ball, uh, I think... You know, you you can probably concede there, but to like kind of just be rooted and not make a real effort to make the save, it kind of is is so late that he kind of like dives under the ball. Uh, I I think for me, 
although probably the main the main blame goes to like not actually closing down the original shot i think that there is some blame to be portioned there well that's not it's not important in terms of like regardless we still go a goal down who cares you just have to start the game again but um it is one of those things where just like if he's doing his job as he usually does that's not a goal yeah i i agree with you that that, that there is a portion of blame to lay with him I, I like was saying earlier i don't think it's entirely his fault i've seen quite a lot saying you know putting a lot of blame blame on him. I think the problem in that situation and to go ahead and, and, and protect goalkeepers is that he's working on the condition that the players in front of him after two and a half minutes of football are doing their job. And and on his Evo, like you're saying, that situation needs to be more alert. He needs to be awake and he needs to go and close the man down. If he does that, then Zenta doesn't get caught in the position he gets caught in. Um, so there's there's a lot of trust that has been put into a man that that's then not done his job and... Ultimately, Zentner's then got to make the quick decision of, of okay, how do I react to what the ball has actually done? Um, and and he, he just kind of doesn't, like you say, it just kind of sails over him and, and he, he doesn't do a lot. So there's, it, it's, it is a, it's a poor goal to concede um, for, by, by all accounts. Um, and, and I don't think we need to carry on. Uh, there's this uproar on social media about specific players in that situation. I don't think we need to carry on that. Um, other, but, but go on and talk about the positive that came from the goal, which was our overall reaction. Yeah, and I think this is what is different about this performance to many performances over recent months in terms of when we have gone down a goal uh, in, well, if you just look at sort of various games this this uh, calendar year against Wolfsburg, against Bremen, a um, couple of games before the winter break, Freiburg, Heidenheim, for example, like you, you kind of look at it and you're like, it seems hard to un- like see a route back into the game, even with, in most of those cases, like quite early deficits. It's like you've got a lot of time. In this case, we had what, like 87, 86 minutes uh, plus injury time to sort of get back into things. Uh it's one of the first times that I've seen us kind of just go about it methodically of like, well, it, that makes no difference to our overall game plan. We still need to go out there and get a goal. Uh, and lo and behold, we approached it the right way for the first time, I think, in a while in that kind of uh, scenario. And we pretty much immediately got a reward in terms of a really well-worked goal. I think you can tell that this is something that they've actually worked on in terms of it's a it's a free kick in a presentable position, the sort of position that you get a free kick in probably three or four times a game. Amiri's put in a good ball, headed back across goal. Um, and uh, I mean, it's a really good finish by Dominic Kaur, just kind of straining every sinew to flick it onto, onto target. Um but those are the kind of cheap, easy goals that we've been not scoring all season and it's good to kind of be back in the habit of doing it. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic analysis. That's exactly how I would have wanted to have put it as well. Um, it's, it's something that we've been missing all season. I remember when, who was it? We went 1-0 down, was it? It was Heidenheim. Uh, we went 1-0 down a couple of weeks ago after two or three minutes. And, and oh, reaction, Raymond, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and the uh, reaction is just, is just entirely different. The you know we were calling out then we were saying you know we've got eighty eight probably ninety minutes plus of football still to be played um, you know the game plan in itself shouldn't be changing okay you've gone one nil down and you're potentially playing against a team that are uh, five yards deeper um, but other than that it's you're you're still out there to try and win a game of football therefore you should be playing in a way that will allow you to score goals to allow you to win a football game. Um, and and we went to um, Leverkusen top of the league we've spoken already. Um, including today we obviously know the results and so now we know they're 33 games unbeaten across all competitions which is a new Bundesliga record they're top of the league going into the game were already eight points clear of Bayern Munich having hammered them 3-0 um, in their previous home game 
Um, Xabi Alonso at the Realm now, who's being touted for the Bayern Munich job, the Liverpool job. He's been mentioned in conversations about potentially moving to Real Madrid as well. This is a, a team, a club that is a um, quite a frightful opponent. Is you know they are the best team in the country. I would go as far as to say. Um, and and we went there in a positive, courageous, disciplined manner. Um, and and fought our way back into a game that, on paper, a lot of people had already written us off of. Um, and, and of all people, uh, Dominic Core uh, popping up in, in on the penalty spot of the uh, of the opponent's half to to flick this lovely little diving header in off the underside of the crossbar is a wonderful finish. Um, but was entirely deserved um, for the way we went about the football, having conceded that early goal. And I, th- I think you're absolutely right, and it is shown that, that the club or the players on the training pitch have worked on this. Because the, the difference between what we are seeing now after two games, three games under Henriksen, two games, um, to what we saw at Stuttgart away in Zivert's last game is a complete it's the opposite side of the coin. Um, and I don't think there's any other way of describing that. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you kind of, if you look at the sort of the way that you sort of talk about football over the years, I think for a long time there's been kind of a reflex reflexive kind of move away from talking about football in terms of like how much you want it and like having the right attitude and kind of, and kind of things and actually just like looking at the game on a statistical level but I think in terms of the way that we've picked up in the last two games under Bo Henriksen I think it does show that like sometimes it's just you really have to like get the intangibles right to allow yourself to then do the statistical uh sort of extras that are going to sort of make you a better team like it, all of it all of it comes together as one and uh you, prob- you probably would hope that everyone who's playing professional football in the Bundesliga has the right attitude um, and is approaching things correctly. But I think just what group dynamics and stuff can sort of lead to the fact that you find yourself in these difficult situations and then it, it takes a lot to, to get out of it. And uh, it seems that, yeah, like as we were mentioning with the charisma and stuff last week, it just seems that that kind of still continued to be a case in point. Uh, this week uh, um, in a, a more difficult fixture than the Augsburg game. Probably from our side of things, a fixture where nothing was going to be lost for us, but a lot could have been won. From their side, it was probably a little bit of a higher stakes. Like these, these are the games on which championships are won from from their perspective. Uh, whereas if we if we lose to the top, the team that eventually wins the title, that's not going to be the reason we go down. It'll be in games elsewhere. We'll come on to talk about next week's game and that's an, another very different proposition. Um, but I, I just think, yeah, like I say, we, we, we went into it with the right attitude. And I, I liked the fact that, you know, again, you talk about, in, well, I talk about intangibles anyway, uh, and it's just the curse of the former player. We've we got a, a former Bayer Leverkusen player in the in the team in Dominic Kaur and uh, he scored against his former club. That, that, that seems to be what always happens. So uh, I just, yeah, need to look through the squad and see anyone who's got some kind of uh, link to Gladbach and uh, see how they can haunt them at the weekend. Yeah, we'll hope so, won't we? That's, uh, <laughs> that's one way. I was straight on to transfer mark to see what's going on. Yeah, uh, you, you talk about attitudes and, and ultimately, yeah, the game is more tactical it's more based on statistics you've got your xg and your double pivots and and possession based and and all of this and all of that is important and all of that is currently um a big focus in the modern game for a reason clearly it's working in the modern game but ultimately you can only use all of those things if you get the basics right and the basics is turning up on the day with an attitude of i'm here to play football and i want to win a game of football if if you don't come with that then you might as well go home already you know you've you've already lost um so it was it was brilliant to see and and we were at it for 25 30 minutes um we we weren't getting rolled over in a way that a lot of people thought we might um Leverkusen were 
off the ball a little bit, I would say. I, they weren't their clinical selves like they have been this season. We, I think, you know, I don't want to come out and say that, that that we were perfect and we implemented our game plan exactly as it was. And there's a reason that Leverkusen couldn't play football. I mean, to a certain extent, but a lot of it was down to the fact that they weren't at 100% at the races either. Um, and it was shown later in the half um, when we just decided, you know, we've played really well for 30 minutes, 35 minutes. We've fantastically disciplined, fantastically stru- uh, structured Let's introduce some chaos to uh, chaos for the sake of things. Yeah, and I, I just, I just had a thought when you were talking there that, like, the way that we're talking about this, I think we've set the British stereotype of football back probably thirty years or something. <laughs> all of our, all, all of our, everyone listening to this, in terms of just like two British guys saying like, it all boils down to who wants it more or less. That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not usually our kind of flow. I think we're going to have to find a way of just throwing in some very hipster shouts about. Absolutely. In the second half of this episode. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to tarnish ourselves with that proper football man brush just yet. I mean, we're not that kind of uh, generation yet. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to sort of hear your views on the rest of that first half after the goal, because obviously the majority of the first half happened after this. It's seven minutes in, I think, that Core yeah. equalised. Um, I saw a lot of praise uh, for the way that we approached it, but then also... Um, Equally, that Leverkusen did create some chances, if not 100% chances. They were looking dangerous towards the end of the half. And it, it was, as far as I could see, sort of fairly well accepted that um, halftime came at a good time for us. Yeah, I'd agree 100%. That's exactly, you know, the, the, the what I'm saying is, you know, we spent 30 minutes, 35 minutes disciplined, um, structured. Um, you know, I've got on my notes here that the, the long balls that we used were... Same as the previous game against Augsburg, they were targeted, they were hitting the right channels. There, there wasn't like a, a level of hopelessness in the game. There was there was actual, there was a, a meaning behind the balls that were being played, the passes that were being played. Um, to, to bring him up again, uh, Brian Gruder, I, I feel like we bring him up every episode of just, just how good this kid is. Um, he, he might not have, have, have been 100% a, a magician on the night and, and, and changed the game. Um, but the things that the basic stuff he was doing for for an 18 19 year old he offered such an outlet for us in a way that that we haven't had all season he controlled the tempo when we were on the ball and when we were looking to go forward he was controlling the tempo slowing things down at the right time allowing players to get forward and join in speeding up when he needed to knocking the ball behind the fullback and looking to get in behind him and and create a, a dangerous situation where he could either himself get a shot off or, or put a ball across the box. Um, he was he, There was one moment, I don't remember exactly when in the first half it was, but he picked the ball up on the first on the halfway line, looked up and pinged a 50-yard uh, cross ball um, that, that, that picked out the left-back on the other side. And it's like, where had this been all season? Like, Obviously, we know that he's been good because he, he was this creative force that, that nobody else was offering. But all of a sudden, he's got passing into his game he's got decision making into his game and he just keeps on getting better every week and that's one of the reasons I'm really happy that Henriksen's put so much trust in him because I, I said it in the first episode I said it in pre-season to, to one of the guys we know when we went away that, that Grude is going to be special um, and, and somehow he keeps doing it um, so he was he was fantastic in that first half and we thought you know what like we're in this game. After 30 minutes, we're in this game. Leverkusen were creating chances, half chances, but we knew that they were going to do that. It was, you know, it was top of the league versus a team battling for their lives relegation. That was what we expected. Yeah, what did I say about British stereotypes? Like you're just praising 50 yard balls, <laughs> left, right, centre. We're just we're just falling back into typo. We're, we're falling back to... into stereotypes because I, I watched that. I watched him ping that pass, and I'm going, hey, <laughs> like I was yeah. straight into my head for that. No, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. 
But um, after 35 minutes, we then decided, or Zentner decided to, to, to create the first piece of chaos, um, went walkabout and almost conceded uh, uh, an absolute howler of a goal. Yeah, and I, I think this is one of those things where I think this is why goalkeeper is such a difficult pos- uh, position because you can be a very consistent, like know what you're going to get goalkeeper, but then you have a moment like early on in the game where maybe it throws your confidence a little bit and then all of a sudden your game becomes a little bit more erratic like we saw from Zentner sort of throughout a lot of the game, unfortunately. I he, he To give him his due, made a lot of saves for us as well. Um, and so it, it's not like he had like an unambiguously bad game, um, but um, yeah, he was a busy boy <laughs> in that first half, and sometimes the pressure's going to tell, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. He made a couple of good saves um, from from these half chances that that, that were well, not even half chances, kind of a decent, not hundred percent. You've got to score from there, but but enough for a goalkeeper to have to you know make his wage for the week. Um, I've actually got in. It's brilliant. I've got in my notes here as well. Thirty-five minutes. The hell is Zentner doing? Um, because that was the first piece of chaos. And then five minutes later, uh, 40 minutes, the hell is Seth Vandenberg doing? Because the ball was played back to him and he went down in stages. Uh, it was a, a weird situation. He's the last man. He's in his own box. And he kind of, he went, he went down in three or four stages. The, the, the most slow-mo slip I've ever seen. And um, Leverkusen almost got in behind again. Uh, Zentner made, he stood up well, kept his body big, made another good save. Um, but that's what I was saying earlier on in the podcast about, okay, we came into it structured and disciplined and, and, and came with our game plan well. But immediately, other than obviously the goal they've scored, a couple of half chances, um, a sort of 75% from Zentner going walkabout and then Seth Vandenberg deciding to have a little nap and a sleep in his own six-yard box was a 100% chance for me. Um, and and if you if you put all of that together and Leverkusen score from it, we actually go in at half-time, 3-4-1 down. Yeah, which thankfully we didn't. It was one all at the break. And I'd be interested to know, like uh, a lot of the time when you see a, a opponent miss a lot of big chances, you're like, oh, well, we've got away with one here and I think it'll be all right now. Uh, sometimes you, you see them miss a load of big chances and you're like, oh, they're not going to miss the next one. Just like statistically probabilities, that's not going to happen. Uh, so what were you thinking at halftime? How were, like, having seen the first 45, how do you think the second 45 are going to pan out? I was hoping for more of the same to a certain extent because we've been famous this season for thinking that we've had a good 45 minutes of football and then just going to sleep and, and thinking the job was done. So I was hoping we came out in the same way. But I, I texted into the group chat saying, you know, it was it, it was solid, it's encouraging, but we've lost our heads a little bit in these final minutes. And and like you said, I think you said it earlier, you know, half time came at a really good time um, because... We we were definitely en route to conceding. Um, having having not scored five, there was no way they were going to miss a sixth uh, chance. So um, it, it was I was I was encouraged, but it, it was said straight away. So we need to keep our heads. We need to make sure the players like Vandenberg, for example, um, continues to make the correct decisions. He doesn't try anything risky. Um, Gruder carries on on the ball. Onizivo keeps on running the hard yards. Jason Lee, I have to bring up, was missing. I, I bring him up every week, and and I put it into the into the podcast now. Is I have the utmost respect and admiration for Jason Lee. He is a a brilliant human being, and he has been an important player um, in previous seasons for us in previous games. But just what he offers, I don't understand what he offers to the team at the moment. Forty five minutes um, against Leverkusen, he was completely missing. He was the invisible man. Um, so I was hoping that that we would have noticed that. We didn't. We came out for the second half. And we came out for the second half 
surprisingly positive. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those ones where I look at that and we did start the second half very positively. We were looking to impose ourselves on Leverkusen a little bit more and I kind of think, like, uh, not blaming the referee for anything, but I kind of wish that the game had been less fragmented in that first 10 minutes of the second half than it was because what I was seeing every time that we had the ball was that we looked intent to go and create something and do something. But what kept happening pretty much every 35 seconds of play or something was the ref blows his whistle, hands out a yellow card, the game stops. And it's very hard for, I think, both teams to generate a little bit of momentum in that sort of early part of the second half. And there was it's just a little bit weird in terms of there were, yeah, things that weren't yellow cards being given yellow cards. Uh, I think Dominic Core gets elbowed in the face and then gets a yellow card for his uh, um, pleasure as well. I mean, to, it, like what he does after getting elbowed in the face is foul the guy. So like kind of fair enough on the halfway line, but also he's just been elbowed in the face. Um, and at the end of that very frustrating 10 minutes of like, I think we're cooking on gas here, but also someone keeps turning the heat down. We miss our best chance of the game, really, through Jae Sung Lee, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, I've seen it described as a 100% chance. I think it's not quite it's not quite that big. It's like one of those things of he receives the ball with work to do, but to miss in the manner that he did just like feels really frustrating. Like you have to be working Hrodetsky there in the Leverkusen goal. And instead he's fluffed his lines completely. And that's the thing I find hard to forgive. If he, if he miss, misses that chance by a good shot that forces a good save from the goalkeeper, I'm kind of like, do you know what? Fair play. But Leverkusen faff around at the back. Jason Lee gets the ball. There is a, a defender between him and the goal and the goalkeeper still to beat. But you got to be working the keeper there. And unfortunately, again, it, it was a massive letter for Leverkusen. And uh, that, I think, then put the momentum of the game back towards the home side. Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, it was it, 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 okay. Potentially not on a hundred percent chance, but you've got to you've you've got to hit the target. Like, and I'm going to have to ask you already to forgive me, but I'm about to go English football, <laughs> English Brexit football discussion on this. You've got to hit the target. You've got to work the goalkeeper um, because if you travel to places like this, you have to ch- take the chances that come to you because you're not going to create five, ten chances during the game. You might only get one or two and you've got to take them. Um, and, and we didn't. And it's and it's the second chance that, that he's he's got to be... like the, the one against Augsburg where he's hit the underside of the crossbar. Yeah, okay, he's hit the underside of the crossbar, but in the situation he was in, he's got to be hitting the target. You've got to... Either the keeper makes a wonderful save or you score. Um, and it was this situation again. The ball's been played across the box. It's a hospital ball. The the lad that it's intended for is never getting anywhere near it. And Jason Lee, credit to him, reads it well and comes onto the ball, takes it first time as he should be doing. Um, but it was somehow balloons it into the stands beyond the goal. When really you've got to be, you have to be hitting the target there. And if Hrodetsky pulls off a wonderful save and palms it away, then credit goes to the goalkeeper. Um, but we're looking at it now going, Jason Lee, once again, you have not taken the chance that has been put on the plate for you. Um, yeah, and- I, th- I think with, with him as well, I think if we just like zoom out to, to him as a player in general, I just kind of I find it hard to see at this stage in his career, like what he is actually offering us in terms of he's too poor defensively to be able to be played in centre midfield. Like you can't, like he is a liability running back towards his own goal. And we saw that towards the end of last season where I think there was, there was a, a period of games where both Core and Barrera were suspended. So you had Jason Lee playing as, as a holding midfielder or at least as one of the eights. And it's just, it was not a pretty sight sort of seeing him trying to keep up with, uh, defensive play from our perspective um but also what he was good at sort of for a large part maybe the first 18 24 months of his Mainz career um was getting the ball in a sort of 
in in an opportunity like this and finding a way to get on target and sneak it in like he, he a very sneaky good finisher in terms of just a, a catalogue of tidy goals uh, that, that he scored from us with his head and sort of slotting got, uh, the ball through gaps. And that just seems to have completely vanished uh, over the, the course of the last year or so. And you, you could probably go back to, I would say probably roughly around the time that he went on international break in March last year. And he's just, it must have been like body swapped or something because he came back a very diminished player in an attacking sense as well. So if you're not going to act, if you're a midfielder that isn't good enough to play in a defensive role, um, but can play an attacking role, but then that seems to have deserted him as well. I kind of think, what are you offering to the team overall? I, the issue is that probably, like, well, who else do you pick there at the, at the same by the same token? But it's a very frustrating one for me because I, I really like him as a player, but I think I like him as a player based on previous rather than what he currently offers us. Yeah, I, I think for me, if I was Marco Richter, for example, I'm looking at that, trying to work out what I'm doing wrong in training. Um, he's for me. He's the immediate option. He's the one that I would be picking ahead of Lee at the moment. Um, because like I say Lee, Lee, he does. He hasn't necessarily done anything catastrophically wrong, but but I don't think he's proved him enough to 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 merit him being continuously in the team. Um, like he came back from the Asian Cup, for example, and was was just first name back on the team sheet. And and I don't I don't know what he offers um to to justify that you know he on the training field he might be the best player on the pitch you know i don't know that i i, I haven't been to any of the training sessions but he's clearly doing something that is putting the trust of coaches that know a lot more about football than i do um to to put their trust in him um but for me if i'm marco richter I'm looking at that and scratching my head and trying to work out what else it is that I need to do um, to regain that place in the team. Yeah, I think I think in the the case of this game, I think I saw a rumor that Richter may have been one of the players that was ill uh, throughout the week. So, I, but again, it's like that's also from his perspective really been a theme since end of November or something, where he played a really good game against Hoffenheim and then seemingly hasn't really seen the light of day for much since, uh, which. It's mega frustrating, and it, it must be that, that, that there must be something going on because when someone plays well, when you see them, and then doesn't get to play very often, you can only assume that there's some reason why they're not being picked. But I, I, I have no idea what it is, so who knows? And I think we have to come to the heartbreaker, unfortunately. Rip the blaster off. Yeah, um, unfortunately, we so with the first goal, we kind of have looked at Zentner's role in all of this. And said, you know, there's things that other players can do better here. And, uh, but, you know, probably he is at fault. I think in, in this case, with uh, Andrish's goal, which I, to be honest, I don't even know if you should really count it towards Andrish. <laughs> um, very good shot. Again, kind of, he's not, he, he is given a lot of time in the field to shoot. And I think he's not the sort of player that, like, under pressure would have shot from there, especially with the, the quality that he's got on it. I don't, I don't have Robert Andrish down as that kind of player. He's hit it well and with a lot of spin on the ball. Uh, and unfortunately, having gone David Seaman in the first half, uh, Robin Zentner went Rob Green in the second and uh, the ball spanned through his, his grip and over his over his uh, head. Saw him sort of leaning back to kind of claw the ball out and unfortunately into the side netting is already over the line. It's just one of those things. As soon as as soon as the ball kind of squirmed out of his grip, it's just you knew what was happening and uh, it's painful to watch. Yeah, it was. It's it's a howler, isn't it? There's, there's no other way of putting it. It's an absolute howler. It will be on. You know, I think back to my childhood. It will be on DVD compilation clips for for years to come. Um, you can argue that the defender probably needs to get out to him, but I I don't mind if you've turned up to be compact. I don't mind 
sprinting to the man 35 yards from goal if he's up until that point nobody's shown any likelihood of, of of taking a pop as it were from from 35 yards I don't mind sprinting out and closing that and conserving energy for the time being but the shot comes off it's it's on target I don't think it's the best shot in the world it's on target it's got enough behind him to trouble the goalkeeper clearly but 99 times out of 100 sent the catches that with his eyes closed and unfortunately in this situation he's thrown it into his own net um and yeah i i i don't think there is a lot more to to talk about the goal it is it's a stinker it's a classic goalkeeping howler um it's ultimately cost us a point potentially um if if you're to look at it purely in terms of of you know the goals that were scored um he he'd had he'd had a, a, a relatively good a relatively good he'd had a good game up until that point you know we're willing to forgive him obviously pick him straight back up and and we get on with it um but it but it in the fight that we're in, in the situation that we're in, it, it hurts a little bit more than than it potentially might have done. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where you kind of you see that happen, and you kind of, as well as being annoyed that there's now a mountain to climb for the team, you kind of feel for the guy at the centre of it in terms of making the mistake and like knowing that like we don't have any choice but to like for for Robin Centner to pick himself back up next week and go again because. Like neither Lasseries nor Daniel Batts have uh, like big Bundesliga experience, and I think in the predicament you're in, you want experience, and that is something that Zender offer, offers us. He's been in this position with us before, and he's got us out of it. Um, but it's one of those things where you kind of look at it, and sometimes in big games when you make those kind of errors, like those those are things that can go on to define you. You look at like formerly of this parish, Loris Carius, um, and what happened to him, obviously in a much bigger game in the Champions League final. Um, but his career has never recovered from a couple of errors. Um, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen with Zentner now because I don't think that's remotely true. But I also think what what there is is that. It's going to be for him a big head thing of like, can he get into the first 10 minutes and make a decent save against Gladbach on, at the weekend? Because like I say, like so much of the game, especially for a goalkeeper, is like knowing that like any movement you make is going to like pan out exactly the way that it usually does. Like getting into the routine of like how you go and dive for the saves and yeah, get your hand on the ball and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think with an outfielder, it's like, well, you're, you're part of a unit. Uh, and uh, like, although there might be blame on you, there's, you know, it's a structural thing as well. Uh, when it's just like an individual goalkeeping error, it, like it comes down so heavily on that one one person. I kind of, I do feel for him. So uh, it was nice to see him sort of be greeted by the fans at the end of the game with uh, with people singing his name. It was nice to see like um, Henriksen after the game, like immediately trying to pick him back up, which I think if there's one manager that can do it, I very much back Bo Henriksen to sort of get him back into sort of full confidence rather than Jan Mopi Siever. Um, but unfortunately it's it's one of those things where that just it, it it killed the game the game went flat after that point I think we can't necessarily blame him for one point going away because I think you look at the the, the time of the game that that happened in those 20 minutes to play I think Leverkusen would have come on and they'd have created a lot more chances um they've been characterized by late goals this season as well as uh sort of nice goals and all that kind of stuff like the reason they're there is because they're constantly sort of finding a way to win ga- win, win these games and I think they probably would have done anyway um, but it's one of those things where yeah unfortunately we don't know what might have been because yeah after those, those 20 minutes I think we probably did not react very well to that goal uh, and yeah the game became a little bit bitty unfortunately after that 
Yeah, it's it's there's there's nowhere to hide as a goalkeeper, is there? Like you say, if, as a, a unit, if you make an individual error, generally you can hide behind it because someone will clean up your mess for you most of the time. In this situation, you have no other opportunity. You are the last man standing, and um, you, you've made a hash of it. And, and like I say, there's nowhere to hide in that situation. He he did pick himself up. He made a couple of half decent saves towards the end of the game. And and we know, like you say, he's been there before. He's he is a character. He's been one of the leaders while Vidma was out. He was one of the leaders in the team that's been kept us going all season. Um, so I I have full confidence in him that he'll pick himself up. And and when he's called upon against Gladbach, if he's called upon against Gladbach, um, that, that he'll prove to us why he's our number one goalkeeper and 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 why we've put so much faith in him over the years. Um, in in regards to to getting back into the game. I, well, coming on to it, I, I, I think the, the the red card sort of five minutes after the goal, five, ten minutes after the goal, killed the game completely. Um, and not not to say the referees made a mistake there. It's it's a red card. I'm not going to argue with it. Um, the player knew it was a red card as soon as he happened. The referee took his time and had to go and, and check VAR, but ultimately came to the right decision. And after that, I think it was a case of potentially correctly the team having to be a bit more compact back themselves in um and make sure that we don't end up going and getting whipped three four five one um but also Leverkusen taking their foot off they realized the three points were in the bag and the game kind of died a death that it needed to to die because both teams Leverkusen got the three points they were looking for and you know we put in a solid disciplined performance against a very good side and 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 came away without our tails between our legs and um without an extra minus four goals on the goal difference. Yeah, which I think is correct to point out that like in in this kind of scenario where we just weren't able to create much and um, we're down to 10 men, I think it was probably right to kind of make sure that we're not going to sort of drop down in the goal difference the way that like looking at how tight the table is, it may come down to that at some point as well. Um, so yeah, I think with the young Gankam tackle, it's one of those ones where you're looking at that and you're thinking like, why is the ref not giving that as a red in play? It's kind of quite obviously... I mean, it's one of those ones where it's a potential ankle breaker if uh, Shaka's foot's planted. Thankfully, it's not, and he's he's fine. Um, I think the issue is that probably he's just... I think it was one of those ones where he was trying to force it a little bit too much. He's come on as a substitute, wanting to make an impact after getting this lone move here and um, and do something. Um, he's played a bit of a bit part role for me so far as a, as a Mainz player overall. And I think... There's a lot of enthusiasm there, but he's gone into a challenge off balance. And it's one of those things, as he shapes for it, it's not actually a bad tackle. He's, he's trying to do a block tackle, basically, but then he's kind of fallen and he's come down. And it's, a, it's a dangerous tackle, so you can't argue with it as a red card at all. No, um, absolutely. It's 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 absolutely a red card. And it's it, the, the player's not meant to do it, like you say. like There's, yeah. there's no intent to, to go in like he does. For those that haven't seen it, it's uh, he's, he's like you say tried to make a block tackle, and that the foots ended up planting just above the boot of of Shaka and coming down on the ankle. So there's it's it's violent conduct, and it, and and oh, I'm not going to be here to yeah. argue the red card. Um, the thing that annoys me about it is it's not necessarily well, I guess that he's put himself in that situation, but that it was in such a nothing area of the pitch. It was on the halfway line, and Shaka was turning back to his own goal. In that situation, like just come off the player, take just take the step back let him play the ball back get yourself back into the shape and we move defensively and we press defensively as a team but he goes flying into something in the nothing area of the pitch that he doesn't need to go flying into um, and and rightfully got the red card he put his hands up immediately you could see that he knew the red card was coming he didn't complain it himself um, but he's, it's it's another player it's another body that will now be missing for um, two games was announced today it's only a two game ban rather than a three game ban 
Um, so I'm glad to see that the DFB have looked into that and gone, well, clearly the player's not meant to do that. It's a red card offence, but there's there's no need to punish him for longer than he needs to be punished. So the two games, I think, are very fair, and I'm glad to see that's been decision, uh, decided. Um, but but like I say, it is another body that will be missing um, from Gladbach and from Bayern away. Um, Anthony Cassie will be missing against Gladbach as well because he picked up his fifth yellow card. Um, and it, it's... I don't want to blame him and I don't want to talk bad about the player, but he's put ourselves into another situation or he's put Bo Henriksen into another situation of trying to find men in an already thin squad. And that's what annoys me about it. Yeah, I think I think that's well summarised. And uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of how creatively we do it. I'm hoping that people that were ill going into this game uh, hopefully have uh, been on the... Uh, what do you call it? The lem sips and the better now. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, yeah, we we don't know how it's going to go. I think we just have to like wait until later in the week and see who uh, has had their face cut off in training as well. Just to see, <laughs> see what's happening. I, ultimately, we just yeah, I'd, I think we just have to to look at it on a on a week by week basis and see what happens on Friday uh, to uh, before we can select the team for Saturday. So yeah, uh, I think ultimately a creditable loss, a loss that we can take some things forward from. Um, it's not all negative. It's just kind of, it's one of those ones where it's a little bit frustrating because going into a game where I'm kind of like not actually that fuming at the team for their performance, but we still lost. I I understand why it happened because we were playing a better team and ultimately they've turned up when they need to and got the points to get out of there. Um, But it it just has a, it's a, it's a different kind of feeling to when you've just seen us turn up, play horrible football, not ever look like scoring and then go out there losing. Like it's just that little bit more disappointing because you're kind of like, well, what might have been Uh, anyway, any man of the match shouts from you, Sheridan? Honestly, I haven't thought about it, and that's that's very bad podcasting from me. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Brian Gruder um, because of his performance in the first half. I think he is such a talented player, um, and he and he offers so much to this team, um, even off of the ball. Um, I was surprised to see him come off when he came off, but it, it, I was hearing rumours that he'd, he'd picked up a bit of a bit of a knock. So I suppose it makes sense in that sense because you want to you want to save him for the games that you're looking at on paper and going. That's where we're going to get three points because you want him to be there and you want him to be um, a, a leading light in those games, as it were. Um, yeah, for for me, it's it's going to have to be it's going to have to be Brian Gruder. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I think. I liked your point earlier about him being like a really good outlet as well because you look at him and he's like quite a squat, small figure. Uh, so you wouldn't expect him to necessarily be good in the air. But if you can get if you can get the ball played into his like chest, there's actually there's very few sort of better players in our squad at playing that kind of way. Like for a 19 year old, his upper body strength is absolutely brilliant. Like he's not getting knocked off the ball if he can get between the ball and uh, the the opposing player. Then um, yeah, that's his ball to sort of play with and and, and do things. I'd I'd like to see referees protect him a little bit more because I, I don't think this is necessarily the story of this game, but in general, I think he gets fouled quite a lot and doesn't get much change from it um especially if we are going to start sort of putting some set pieces together it'd be nice if referees could start sort of looking at Brian Grinner <laughs> yeah. getting fouled and uh <laughs> sort of actually blow for, for a free kick but um yeah a, a really talented player a really exciting player to watch and I'm just hoping that he is watching the clips of his goal against Gladbach in the away game in October and thinking you know what we'll have some of that maybe on the week foot next time <laughs> who knows uh, on Saturday um which brings us on to that, I think, from a kind of, not a free hit, but like a, a game in which you had a lot to win and you, you expected to lose. I think this is going to be a crucial one in terms of, I think, Gladbach are now having beaten Bochum at the weekend. They're 10 points ahead of us. But 
they're in that position in the table where realistically we need to be beating them to sort of start bridging that gap a little bit. And the way that the results elsewhere have gone, like I think this weekend wasn't the worst for our battle to get to 16th um, in terms of Cologne only picking up a point only against Stuttgart, who obviously we we haven't managed to do that against this season. But um, we're in a position where like with a good result at the weekend, we could very easily be 16th at the end of it and not in like not as in as direct danger of going down. But um, there's still that big, big gap to bridge. And if you want to bridge that gap and stay up automatically, which I would love to because I don't want the stress of the, <laughs> the relegation playoff, um, then you can't be letting Gladbach get out of the out of the city with a single point and you need we need to be sort of starting to win games if we want to sort of do it. So I'm gonna be very stressed. Uh going to the stadium on Saturday yeah I, I can feel it in my body now how stressed I am for Saturday like just talking about it um, it's to bring out another cliche article it's another cup final um, and, and for me it's even more important knowing that we've got A 11 games of the season left B uh, we're already 10 points behind automatic safety um, there's us in 17th there's Cologne two points ahead in 16th with 17 points and then 15th place whoever that might be, I can't think immediately right now, is on 25, 10 points ahead of us. Lose against Gladbach on, on Saturday and you're, you're so deep into the quicksand that, that it's going to be really, really difficult to come back out. Um, knowing as well that following week we go to Bayern Munich, we still have to host Dortmund and we still have to go to Wolfsburg on the final day. And it's never pretty when we go to Wolfsburg if you if you look in, in recent seasons. Um, so if you take those three games out, suddenly there's only eight points. Suddenly there's only 24 to play for. Um, and you're chasing a gap of 10 points. You lose two games and, and suddenly you're, you're in a position of having to win every game to even have a chance of mathematically being in it. So um, it, we beat them 4-0 at home last season. We put in a good performance against Augsburg. We put in a better performance than we've seen um, at, at some of the better teams in the league against Leverkusen on Friday night. If we continue in the vein we we, we take it on since Bo, came, Bo Henriksen came in, I, I don't see any immediate reason for us not to win this game. But we, we have to turn up. We have to do our jobs. Gladbach scored five at home against Bochum at the weekend for a reason. You know, they're not going to be coming here as champs. Um so, but they are mega inconsistent this season. So the fact that they won actually gives me a little bit more hope than anything. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like okay, well, I, I would have quite liked them to have still been on twenty-two points, so we could could have won and bridged the gap to like four points or something um, at the weekend. But at the same time, it's like like the, the reason they're down there is that they they actually are they're capable of playing good football and doing good things and being a good team at certain points, but they don't seem to be able to do it two matches at back to back. So the fact that they've had this sort of moment that maybe feels like a turning point for them in their season it might be sort of you know if I'm clutching at straws which I'm capable of doing as we've (laughs) shown on this podcast many times it might be a sort of a a decent time to play them because I think the pressure for them to sort of get that back-to-back win and move away from the relegation zone will be quite large from them so I don't know. I, I think the thing is just that, like the, the way that the teams in that position are starting to to pick up points, and like Wolfsburg drew, um, so they're I think in fourteenth. Um, Bochum are back in fifteenth, but they beat um, Bayern last week, and I think in the uh, Rookrunde table are something like chasing Europe or something. Um, Augsburg won at the weekend. They were on I think twenty five points maybe before uh, twenty three, gone on to twenty six. Yeah. I think yeah. So it's it's getting quite tight in that thing, and you can't. I think basically what we need to do is like not look at any one team in that, and just kind of look at the point range and think like, well, one of these are going to hopefully sort of slip up and not pick up that many points between the end of the season, and just keep targeting sort of 
upwards and upwards and upwards. But at the same time, to do that, we're going to have to not just win our game against Gladbach and probably against Bochum in a few weeks as well. I mean, those two are crucial, but you actually are going to need to go to Bayern or Leipzig or something in one of the next couple of away games. Not easy places to go in terms of the resources that both clubs have uh, and get something from from those because that's how you're going to bridge the gap. So, oh, it's going to be a big march. Yeah, I completely forgot that we have to go to Leipzig as well. That's <laughs> So you're down, you're down to seven games on paper that you go... You really target. Obviously, you have to. Tar- you have to target every game now. Of course, you do. Um, you're absolutely right to say that you're going to have to go to one of these teams and take a point, potentially three points back with you. Um, but but Gladbach, the teams around you, the teams that are, are lower in the table for a reason, you have to be picking off. If you're genuine genuine challengers, then you have to pick off weaker teams. Um, and, and we're going to have to do that against Gladbach. We're going to have to do that against Bochum. We're going to have to do that against Cologne. And we're going to have to do that against Darmstadt. The, the potential favour that we have is all four of those games are at the Maver Arena. They're all home games. Um, whether that makes ultimately a huge amount of difference, I don't know. I talk about it or have spoken about it in a way that if you're going to Bochum, for example, in this situation, as a... As a, a more of a cauldron to go to than than the Mainz Stadium is. That's a, a region of Germany that that it puts so much of their lives into football and so much of their passion into football that, that it really comes out, especially when they're fighting for something like survival from the Bundesliga. So potentially there's a benefit in that, that we have the, the kind of home advantage, as it were, for these games. But it's... I'm just going to be using it more and more with every passing week, cup final, cup final, cup final. And I think I'm going to get more and more desperate and certainly more fragile. Yeah, well, let's end on a positive note. Uh, after all of that, kind of running the mathematics and seeing how we might sort of survive. Um, tomorrow as we record, uh, today probably as you're listening, or maybe it's already happened if you're listening later in the week, Man City under-19s at home at the Brookvig. I think this one hopefully should just be a fun one. Like It doesn't necessarily have to be a positive result, but I'm really looking forward to another night out celebrating the under-19s team who have, uh, have brought the club a lot of joy over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, absolutely. The the, the team, the group of players have, have done everybody proud to, to even have got this far. Um, it's a massive night for them against... You know, one of the best best clubs in in world football at the moment. Obviously, they won the Champions League last season, and then in the men's version, the academy is uh, of a very high standard based on the the resources they've got purely in that sense. Um, and and it's just going to be a, a great night. It's sold out again at the Borgweg. Another night out in under the lights. Um, seven and a half thousand people. It's it's going to be one to enjoy. And if the lads come away with a positive result from that, then it will be an added bonus. Well, there we go. We will discuss all of that in detail. I'm sure that we will end up doing a very, very, very long podcast next week if uh, either of those games or hopefully both of them go well. But until then, Sheridan, it's been a pleasure as always. Good to hear from you, mate. I'll hear from you soon. Ciao. Bye.